Take their yolks runny and their dough sour. Yum! It's Matt and Alex All Day Breakfast. Oh, Matty how are you, mate? Another day of All Day Brekkie. Oh, I'm very, very excited. Um, yeah, I, uh, well, Valinda wasn't stoked about um, how I mentioned that I was walking on sunshine after dropping Sophia off at daycare. <laughs> she yes, prefers sir. a dad who likes to spend time with their, with their child. Is that, is that her issue? She was like, it's not like leaving your luggage at a hotel. <laughs> Anyway, that's such as the uh, the occupational hazards of doing a podcast. But don't worry, we're going to be uh, getting ourselves in trouble at home for your benefit for the next five days a week. So uh, that's good stuff. Thank you very much for joining us. Huge show today. Uh, not only am I excited to have a right of reply in the Wendell <laughs> Wendell Sailor versus vending machine saga, we're actually oh, going to really? be chatting to a really interesting dude. He's a historian from the Netherlands. His name is Rutger Bregman. Uh, and we're going to be chatting to him about what is a pretty controversial topic. Are humans good? Well, Are we you, good? Well, according to Belinda, no, I'm, <laughs> no we're not good. <laughs> but you, you've been really excited to, uh, I mean, we've both been excited, but you brought this to our attention uh, a few weeks back. You said this guy's written this incredible book and, you know, like you got us all to read it. And, and it's really incredible how he breaks down the human psyche um, and, you know, examples in history about human kindness. So, yeah, we're stoked to be talking to Rutger Bregman. He's a bit of a badass as well. You might have seen him pop up in TED Talks or he was at this um, DeVos uh, Economics Forum where everyone came in to listen to, you know, David Atbrow was doing a talk on, you know, we're going to help the environment, that sort of Sorry. thing. And he basically called everyone out to their faces. There were heaps of uh, private jets flying in to talk about poverty. And he's like, what are you people doing? So, anyway, really excited to actually have a chat to him. That is coming up for you in a moment. Also... Uh, the talkback topic of a generation. When have you had a secret scoff? It's being resurrected. It's being brought back out of the pantry. We've caught someone. And you're going to be hearing exactly what happened later in the show with some all-day brekkie. Hope you're having a good one. Matt and Alex, all-day breakfast. Now, Matt, in a world of pandemics, in social unrest, um, one of the things that could be difficult to wrap your head around is the ultimate kindness of humans when things are going on, particularly when the aisles of Australian supermarkets are suddenly devoid of toilet paper. But a gentleman has uh, just put out a new book, which uh, is a hopeful history of humankind. It is called Humankind. His name is Rutger Bregman, and he joins us now from Houghton in the Netherlands. Hello, Rutger. Hi there. Thank you so much for having a chat to us, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, I mean, you're no stranger to Australia. You've been here before. What was your uh, last Mm -hmm. experience in Australia like? Well, it was uh, pretty wonderful, and it was uh, very useful for the research for my book as well. Uh, In 2017, I I did a short book tour around my previous book, Utopia for Realists, which is about all kinds of crazy ideas that may actually become reality in the future. (laughs) For example, giving everyone free money, universal basic income to completely eradicate poverty. (laughs) Uh, but then I realized that actually, if you believe in these ideas, then you also believe that most people can actually be trusted, that they won't waste this kind of money on drugs or alcohol or watch Netflix all day. So I realized I had to go a little bit deeper and actually make the case that, yes, most people are pretty decent. So, uh, yeah, I, I managed to do some research for the book in Australia as well. Well, that's one of one of the things I I came across first was this story of the mm-hmm. real Lord of the Flies, uh, the, the very mm-hmm. famous novel that shows about some shipwrecked boys who descend into chaos trying to, uh, have, with no rules and just themselves on an island. 
you wanted to find a story where uh, if that had actually happened and what did happen uh, that wasn't fictional and you managed to find that in Australia, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was really an extraordinary thing to find. You know, this hugely famous novel that millions of kids around the globe were basically forced to read <laughs> in school. Were you forced to read it? Uh, well, I'm the kind of, <laughs> it, it's in the Netherlands, it's not that famous. So I guess I was just curious and read it on my own when I was 16 or 17. But I do remember feeling quite depressed afterwards and having this feeling like, huh, well, maybe this is what kids are really like, you know, where they, they end up on this island and they turn into savages. And at the end of the novel, three of the kids are dead. Now, Spoiler alert. Uh, I wondered yes. whether it had ever really happened. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I did find this one example in 1965 that six kids in Tonga, you know, this island group in the Pacific Ocean, were also part of a Anglican boarding school, were bored with school. They didn't like the school meals. They thought, you know what, we're going to go on an adventure. Uh, they stole a boat. They ended up in a storm, drifted for eight days, shipwrecked on this island and survived for 50 months and are still the best of friends today. Quite incredible. And you got that to meet is... uh, one of the boys and the, the captain who actually rescued him, who was Australian? Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, rescue them. These boys didn't really need rescuing. <laughs> I mean, obviously, they like to go home. But when he found them on the island, they had, you know, created this small civilization where they were just, uh, they had, you know, a badminton core. They had created their own gym with their own curious weights, you know, that they were using. <laughs> uh, they worked in teams. They probably had a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, all, they would have had. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's a truly incredible story, and I mean, it's 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 it happens. At, well, you retell it at the beginning, towards the beginning of your book, which then just goes on to explore so much into the, I guess, the positive side of humanity. I, I, mm -hmm. It made me feel positive, which was a surprise <laughs> because I have to say, yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. I have I have always been one of the people who sort of would think, um, well, actually, can you describe, what, what's the theory, the veneer theory mm -hmm. in that, you know, everything goes to chaos? Sure. I've, I've believed in that. Well, I used to have a much more cynical view of human nature as well. I mean, I studied history. And, you know, you don't <laughs> become very hopeful. Mostly, often history is just war, war, and then to spice things up a little bit more, war, war, war. And then when there's no war, <laughs> we call it the interbellum, right? The, this, the period in between sure. wars. So um, placeholder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's a really old theory within Western culture that says that civilization is only a thin veneer, right? It's just a thin layer. And that when something small happens, our circumstances change a, a little bit, whether it's a, a crisis like we're in right now, a pandemic or a natural disaster or well, you name it, that we suddenly reveal our true selves and that we show that deep down we're just these selfish animals, these savages. Um, this idea comes back again and again in our culture. You know, you already find it among the Asian Greeks. You find it in Christianity, the notion that we're all sinners. You find it with the Enlightenment philosophers. You find it in our literature, right? Lord of the Flies, another expression of this veneer theory. Or even the TV recently of looters in America, you know? There's yeah, protests exactly. it's, it's, and it's people just are another grabbing expression. shoes yeah. from Foot Locker. Yeah, it comes back again and again and again. And always news media try try to focus on that as well. So if you watch a lot of the news, you'll become quite cynical and pessimistic. There's a term for this in psychology, actually. They call it mean world syndrome. That, yeah, you just become a little bit depressed of all of that. 
Uh, and the reason I wrote this book is that there's just so much evidence that's been gathered in the past 15 to 20 years from scientists from so many diverse disciplines who show that it's really wrong. You know, we're not angels, clearly not. We're capable of pretty horrible things. But what human beings do, especially in times of crisis, is we pull together and um, we've really evolved to work together and to cooperate. And that is our secret superpower. We, uh, we're seeing some, some movement from our politicians at the moment, Rook, uh, with regards to their stance on university fees mm-hmm. uh, for arts and humanitarian style courses. They're saying they're not uh, necessarily job ready mm-hmm. and therefore uh, some of the fees are doubling. Really? Um, They're de-incentivizing the arts and humanities. So it's quite <laughs> yeah. interesting yourself as a historian. <laughs> okay, so how if, you you can't, if, if you can't see Rutger right now, uh, his hand is thoroughly face-planted onto his, uh, into, oh, onto his palm. Yeah. He's, yeah. You know, one of the great tragedies of our, our modern society is that so many people are in jobs that they consider pointless that they consider absolutely useless. We have a scientific term for this. It's called a bullshit job. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> the right definition, the concept is- Is that Latin or what is that? Is that? <laughs> well, the concept is from David Graeber, an anthropologist, and he gives this very smart definition. He says that a bullshit job is a job where the person who has this job says, it's probably not valuable at all. You know, People don't mind if I'll stop working, if I'll go on strike, no one will notice. And the interesting thing is that we now have some empirical research on who are these people who have these bullshit jobs. There's been a recent big study by two Dutch economists and, uh, you know, they looked at a data set of uh, more than 40 countries and they found that in modern economies, around 25% of the workforce thinks his or her own job is useless. Um, then you look at these jobs and it turns out we're not talking about teachers here or nurses or garbage collectors or whatever. Um, but we're talking about people with wonderful LinkedIn profiles who went to great universities and studied, I don't know, business administration, human resource, blah, blah, something like that. And then they ended up in jobs in finance or in marketing or uh, management, uh, and they earned great salaries. But at the end of the day, if you give them a beer or maybe two, then they'll admit to you that their job is absolutely useless and no one will care if they'll go on strike. And they're just writing reports no one's ever going to read or, or, or you know, sending emails to people they don't like. Uh, and that is the real tragedy of our time, you know, the extraordinary waste of talent. It's not that people are, I don't know, studying too much history or anthropology. And I'm not saying that historians are all that valuable. I mean, uh, but at least we like what we do and we're enjoying it, right? And we can't yeah. say that of so many of these people who are in these bureaucratic bullshit jobs. One final thing that's really interesting from this study is that actually turns out that are, there are four times as many bullshit jobs in the private sector as in the public sector. You know, the complete opposite of what we've always been told. Because, you know, in the public sector, we find a lot of healthcare and education, which is really important, obviously. Uh, but then, yeah, in the private sector, there seems to be much more... Uh, of a waste of talent going on. Now, I think that's what we got to be talking about. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because the government has just cut $85 million from our uh, public broadcaster as well this week, Rutger. Yeah. So, um, 
seems like they're going taking a different angle to you uh, when it comes to uh, the application of funds. But uh, you're absolutely right. We could talk um, about this. It's difficult to sum up, not only in a, a couple of sentences, but in a little interview with us as well. So we should let you go. Make sure that you uh, have a look at Rutger's book, Humankind, A Hopeful History. Uh, well worth a read. Uh, thank you so much, Rutger. Hopefully we get to talk to you again um, uh, at another time in the future. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, that was just a very small portion of the huge chat that we had with uh, such an incredible mind, Rutger Bregman. So, we, went a, uh, we went a little bit long with Rutger. I've got, we did go a little bit over time. It was well, too, I mean, he's we, too good. You know, often people, you know, or their publicists or whatever will say, you know, yeah, 15 minutes. And we'll say, yeah, yeah, 15 minutes. Sometimes it comes in at seven. Other times <laughs> you're just, you're, you're, you're ramming coins into the payphone. <laughs> Just keeping the line open so that you can keep chatting about so much great stuff. So, yeah, it's really awesome. Rutger Bregman, so nice, so interesting um, that we did end up chatting for about 25 minutes with him. And if you want to hear the full chat, uh, we've put it up as its own special episode. Definitely worth checking out. Should be sitting in your feed, maybe just below or above this episode. So um, jump on board that one. Listen to the full chat. It's super interesting uh, going across a lot of, yeah, human history and our... Oh, are you convinced, Matt? Are human beings kind? You were a, you were a bit of a, a cynic going in, but chatting to Rutger, have you changed your mind? Mate, drinks on me for the whole office. <laughs> the proof is in the uh, the pots. Still COVID restrictions here, so there's literally two people. <laughs> coffee? Yeah, coffee. A seventh coffee never hurt anyone. Now I feel a buzz. Alex Dyson, you ever ridden a Segway? I've never got on the Segway. I tr- oh. I've tried the hoverboard, stacked it. What? Um, you know those little, you know, the one with, in, you put your weight forward, you're standing up on them. It doesn't have a handle. Oh. I guess it's a similar one, but it's just a little skateboard that you go forward and back on and turn on and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, people were excited. They, they were revolutionary when they came out in Segway. It was huge, um, wasn't it? Literally police officers used them over, you know, I've seen... You know, in Canberra, they're going around the lake. It turned uh, into, it. you know what? It was supposed to be the revolution of personal transportation. That's what they were calling it, PT, right? They thought was it was a going to be... What was a bigger fizzer? Y2K what? or the Segway? <laughs> well, they thought it was going to change the game of, like, movement. Do you know what I mean? Like, this was probably going to be the next step in human evolution in that one day we would then be born with wheels <laughs> in, where our ankles are. But instead, it just turned into this thing that, like, law enforcement used when I guess they couldn't get horses or, you when know, When they wanted bikes. a good news story. It's just like, you know, oh, look at this. Law enforcement love a vehicle. They love it. They love a mode of transport. You got rollerblading cops. You got, they're on horses. They're on bicycles. They're yeah. on quads. <laughs> just love it. Anyways. It's really bad news, sad news today. Um, Segway, the company, announced they've, uh, they're canning it. The Segway, gone, done. It's gone. Because they do yeah. make those electric scooters still, but they're sort of the big name in flashing lights. The Segway is no more. They're not going to build anymore. It's pretty sad. Yeah. And I haven't ridden one properly, and you haven't ridden one properly. And it, no. You know. And maybe I mean, we never will now. Well, that's it. And you, you've got to really realize that this is a, it's a pretty dark day in, in Segway history. It joins one of five other darkest days in Segway history now. Matt O'Kine, you've got a couple else for us. 2003, George W. Bush, one of the first high-profile stacks 
of the Segway. Steve Jobs, actually, when he first saw a Segway, said, oh, yeah, this could be a thing. Then when it came out, he said, oh, this sucks, and all it'll take is one person to fall and the whole business model will crumble. Then George W. Bush stacks it, right? Newspapers around the world write headlines. Daily Mirror writes a headline, which was edited by Piers Morgan, all right, at the time. Daily Mirror writes, you'd have to be an idiot to fall off, wouldn't you, Mr. President? Three years later, Piers Morgan falls off one, breaks three ribs. October 7th, 2010, Ellen DeGeneres took her segue onto her show. Uh-oh. Uh, with some rather dire consequences. You use your body to move them. So if you move forward, you know, you go forward. If you lean back, oh. Like that. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Catch that. <laughs> but they would get it on tape. That's the most important thing. Oh. There's nothing like a I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine to show that you're not. Oh, um, Ellen. That was given to her as a Christmas present by her partner, Portia de Rossi. So 25th of, Oct- of December, 2009, dark day. 27th of August, 2015, Usain Bolt uh, wins the 200 metres of the World Athletics Championships. Oh, oh, I remember this one. This <laughs> was an absolute shocker. Only the most... Valuable feat in the whole universe. Achilles tendons <laughs> that are worth millions. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but a, a fair few fables have been written about uh, Achilles and how precious they are. And then so suddenly this cameraman rolls up behind uh, you say Bolt, the rest is history. Somebody tried to say you out down there, one of the photographers. What was all that yeah, about? They tried to kill me. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, like, you're winning too much. Take him out. <laughs> <laughs> We're yep. behind Usain. Went over a barrier. Took out his legs. You say Bolt fell down. The world went. <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> and luckily he was okay. Wow. But what a dark day it was dark in Segway day. history. Dark day. 29th of December 2011, fellow Queenslander Ian Healy <laughs> slides past some of his fellow commentary team, having a little chuckle as he zoots through on his PT, personal transportation device. And, uh, yeah, I think we know how this ends. We'll let Healy take us to the break because, uh, Joey, we're... <laughs> <laughs> The ground is off. That really happened. Replace all divots. <laughs> now, we all know how kind cricket crowds are, don't we? <laughs> if you're going to stuff up in front of 25,000 drunk idiots on a <laughs> weekday, you might as well make the most of it. Anyways, that was a dark, dark day. Dark day. And and honestly, this is a this is this this is quite a dark day. Yeah. In uh, in in Segway history, twenty sixth of September, two thousand and ten, um, a British businessman who had bought the Segway company less than a year ago, Jimmy Heseldon, dies after riding one of the scooters off a cliff and into a oh. river near his Yorkshire estate. And someone suggested, or like through the investigation, they said. Um, that Jimmy got into a difficulty when he reversed his vehicle to allow a man walking his dog to pass. Oh, that is so, like that's a wild. It's literally not a funny. <laughs> um, no, that's a dark day. A that's a, that's an actual dark day. How and bad also, would you, you feel walking your dog and someone well, on a Segway it. goes after you, sir, and the doesn't, wheels go off the edge? Doesn't make me like dogs anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, well, thank you, Matt O'Kind, for giving us the darkest days in Segway history. What's next? You jumping on a lime scooter? Electronic rollerblades. <gasps> I'm ready. Bring it on. Order up. Just how you like it. Perfect. Yes, Matt O'Kind, if you joined us yesterday, you would have heard a very, very funny and important interview with Big Dell, Wendell Saylor, former Australian rugby player who um, you bumped into in the podcast studios yesterday, Matt. Yeah, we hadn't met, and so I, uh, you know, went to go and introduce myself and was quickly shut down by him going, oh, what? No, no, because <laughs> uh, his chips had gotten stuck in the uh, vending machine. Yeah, he told, so, us, uh, he told us all about it yesterday. I went to get a pack of chips. Uh, the vending machine wasn't real keen to give it to me, so I'll give it one or two shakes, and then... <laughs> It unplugged, which made it worse. I said to Dan Ganane and Ryan Girdler, I said, that machine has got me again. And the boys, the, I think the boys laughed about it. They said, they said, that machine doesn't like you, Dell. I went back and I shook it and I shook it real hard one time. And I think I got my finger caught in the side once or twice as well. But that machine, I'm sure it can sense when I'm around and it hates me. It's got me 4-0. <laughs> I tell you yes. what, two things built like a vending machine going at each other. It's pretty big <laughs> stuff. And Wendell, certainly very disparaging of the vending machine in question. But we thought, Matt O'Kine, given that you know, a lot of media getting criticism, and a lot of times rightfully so, for not showing both sides of a story, we here at All Day Breakfast are much better than that. We like to look far and wide and hear the ride of reply. And in this case, it's the vending machine in question that didn't get to tell us their side of the story. And so we're happy to cross to uh, the vending machine's uh, apartment now at the Podcast One kitchen. Hello, vending machine. <laughs> okay, still... Having a chuckle there. Um, oh, Big Daddy. I got your chips. I got your cheese and onions. <laughs> okay. Um, oi. So, oi. Oi. Yeah? Big Dell says he squashed his fingers. Yeah, I squashed your finger. I'll give you a new finger if you want. The middle finger. <laughs> All right. Um, now... Mr. Machine, it, uh, we did hear from Wendell Saylor. He says that he paid a legal Australian tender for what was a 165-gram pack of uh, cheese tender. and onion chips. Nothing tender about it, mate. He was rocking me to and fro. My legs are lifting off the ground, but I stayed strong. Yeah, you tell Big Dell to kiss my coin slot. That's what I reckon. <laughs> I ain't dropping no cheese and onions for no one. But surely if someone <laughs> pays money for a service, they should be have the right to receive that service. Uh, I tell you what, he was looking desperate. At one stage, I thought he'd try and go up the guts through that little flap down the bottom, but I got the protective flap up there, protecting me starburst and that little cookie that no one ever buys. I don't know why people put cookies in me. This waste of space, waste of real estate, if you ask me. All right. Well, sort of legalities aside when it comes to uh, transaction of money for goods, has anyone from the NRL contacted you? You, you did hold up well, even under uh, duress from one of the big boys of the game. Have you been called up for 5 eighths this weekend? 
Oh, they said I've got too many brain cells. <laughs> yeah, can't play, mate, because I know how to tie my shoelaces. <laughs> all right. Um, that is uh, all we've got time for interviewing the uh, the vending machine there. But uh, interesting. So he doesn't seem too apologetic for... Uh... Four in a row. Okay, you're fading them back down now. Uh, doesn't seem too apologetic for stealing Wendell Saylor's chips. Uh, we obviously here at All Day Breakfast do not condone... Uh, do not condone the uh, theft in any way. But, um, uh, kind did you have any questions for the vending machine at all? Uh, no, I'm, I, I think that he has had, or it has had its say. Uh, and I, I know whose side I'm on, to be honest now. I'm looking forward to the next rematch. All right, great. Well, we'll keep you posted on Wendell Sailor versus vending machine developments. All day breakfast. Alex Dyson, I've told you how life has changed uh, since having a child. You know, various behaviours are changing and as they get older, they start understanding you more. They start spotting you, you know? Yeah, and you're under the watchful eye of your daughter have now started to resort to eating snacks hidden within the fridge door. And it generated the talkback topic, when have you had a secret scoff? Now, it was a little while ago, but like... All good talkback topics here at Matt and Alex. We always put a little in the freezer so we can bring it out and uh, reheat it in the microwave. And uh, a person in this building was caught doing a secret scoff recently, and we thought we'd get their <laughs> side of the scoff story. Uh, Byron Cook is his name. He is one third of Fifi Fevin Byron on Fox FM Melbourne Breakfast Show. And uh, he joins us right now. G'day, Byron. Well, Matt, Alex, it's clearly more of a scoff than a than a secret scoff. I thought it was a secret scoff. Who have you got working for you? What, what's going well, on? Our producer Sam Cav uh, certainly s- spotted you, sprung you, should we say, right. uh, okay. having your scoff. I mean, it is it is now no longer a secret. Do you want to uh, do you want to tell the world what you were munching on? Well, I'm grateful. I mean, you could have caught me doing all sorts of things. So, you know, I'm grateful it's just this. Uh, I don't know where else you have Sam spying, but uh, this was just in the parking lot at work, just where you guys do your podcast. Mm. Uh, look, it's just, look, that's pretty harmless. But look, oh, you be the judge. My girlfriend's a vegetarian, and I've picked that up. We've been together for about a year now. I wasn't a vegetarian, but, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm down for trying to minimise meat, and I've been pretty, pretty good with that. Uh, I will admit, though, just in the console of my car, just for when I'm commuting to work, I do just have just 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 uh, some rations of Wagyu beef jerky. Just, <laughs> just, just in the glove box, hey? Yeah, well, she she has her own car. I have my car. It's a pretty strong smell, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> how many so packets are we talking? Could, look, Woolworths at the moment, they are on special. Um, <laughs> normally $5.50. This is the Wagyu succulent jerky. <laughs> Um, right. so Look at he's going for that free product now. Yeah, not only is he eating it, he's bloody endorsing it, mate. Come on, what are you, the spokesperson for dried yeah. animal Alex, flesh now? Alex did get my bio as as Wagyu Beef Jerky Ambassador, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we do, <laughs> we do have that there. Um, yeah, thank thank, good. thank no, you very no, much. Like Kylie thinking... Minogue is to Australia, you are to jerky. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I would normally get two packs because, you know, uh, and you guys both would live in a gym, yeah? Oh, absolutely. I'm shredded. 
I right. am ripped. Well, you would know that it's very high in protein, the, the jerky oh, yeah. as well. So it's, it's a harmless little post-workout snack, high in protein, about 4 bucks fifty a pack. I'd have a minimum of two packs. Just <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Does, does your partner know about this, Byron? Um, look, and, and what's scary is she's a big fan of yours. I'm not sure she's listening to the podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I just love the idea of you guys being at, you know, being at home, her ducking out to the shops, being like, oh, I'll just use your car. You're like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> just let me clean out the, uh, the set of console first. If she's listening, we, of course, that is code word for my secret stash of dry tofu that I have in the car. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's what I'm talking about if so, she's listening. So is this the only um, forbidden fruit that you touch when it comes to your vegetarianism, Byron? Oh, um. Yep, definitely. That is it. That is it. <laughs> you sure you're not you're, you're not just eating nom and jerky in the car, sipping beef stock in the shower, just <laughs> chicken wings under the pillow at bedtime. What, you, what else? <laughs> that, you know, you know those dispensers that you get the soap out of. If we could get some <laughs> some sort of bonox or something, just in some there. gravy. Come, That's come a great idea. You guys should no, work on that. No, seriously, uh, Byron, I I respect your reduction of meat as a as an avid meat eater it is it is uh it's hard to reduce you're doing the right thing you're on the right path for everyone who's listening it is great to be reducing uh reducing your intake and 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 you know Absolutely. if you have you if you have little slip ups or anything like that uh have, doing somewhat of a change is better than none <laughs> exactly a little jerky in the jeep is fine <laughs> well, if I didn't slip up, you wouldn't have had a phone topic. So, look, I'm happy to help on this occasion. Exactly right. Well, thank you very much, Byron Cook, for joining us. Uh, we wish you all the best. You know, this podcast is all about having uh, food when you like, whenever you like. And, uh, yeah, we, we thank you for uh, being an upstanding citizen in that front. Matt, Alex, pleasure. I smell toast. Which brings us to the end of another all-day breakfast. Thank you very much for hanging out with us. A little reminder, if you want to check out the full interview with Rutger Bregman, well worth having a listen to. It's up in the feed now. Uh, I suggest you go and uh, take a little peek. Yeah, and I'm very, very excited because uh, we have a big, big show tomorrow in which Kate Middleton, <laughs> one of our finalists for our mundane song, finally gets her redemption I. I've spent the last few days remixing, remastering a little bit of magic from uh, from her little ditty. Yeah, this is, uh, if you did miss it or have missed any of it, this is the song that she uh, gave us that she sings to herself while she's vacuuming at home. She's a good vacuum. She don't make no fuss. She's going to pick up all that dust. Mm. So I'm uh, very much looking forward to hearing oh, the Boilermakers Matt O'Kine remix of that track. You were talking KLP potentially uh, coming on board. Are hey, we gonna? Hey, bro, don't be, don't make people's expectations lower them, lower them. Well, you say that, but I was looking. You know, I'm a big stats man. Looking back at the stats from all day breakfast. Thank you very much for listening. There are plenty of you. Very exciting to uh, have you all listening in. But one of our most listened to episodes recently is the episode we talked to Kate Middleton. And I'm not sure if that's because it was a really <laughs> great episode, or people are in the feeds going, "Wait a second. Hang on. How'd the boys nail yeah, that interview? So, sorry. Um, the return of Kate Milton to the show tomorrow could be another one of our biggest episodes yet. In fact, if uh, if your name is um, Harry Wales, uh, please get in touch with the show. Or William. Whatever. William Windsor. That's his name. 
uh, please jump on board and we'll uh, give another clickbait headline. Um, see you tomorrow. See you for a Friday show tomorrow. Bye. That's it. The all-day breakfast kitchen is closed. Got a story we need to hear? All the links are at mattandalex.com.au.